Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. This is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. James Samaru. James is a health tech contributor to Forbes in the UK, and he also the founding partner of HS Ventures, a UK-based accelerator and VC that builds, scales, and invests in the best health tech startups. He's also the host of the HS Health Tech Podcast, featuring two episodes a week with listeners in over 80 countries, interviewing inspiring entrepreneurs in this space. He's an anaesthetics and ICU doctor by training and held leadership roles in the NHS, Health Education England and the British Medical Journal, and has previously directed an accelerator that provides startups with market access to the NHS. He also has degrees in biomedical sciences and education and is a guest lecturer on health tech innovation and entrepreneurship at the University College London. James, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Hey, it's um, it's roles reversed. Yesterday we did the same thing, but I was on your show. We did. We did. No, it was a lot of fun. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Looking forward to today, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I've literally just copied your questions and pasted them to do uh, ask you because I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> but look, we'll... Like it. Love it. Love it. They were great questions, mate, if I do say so myself. So, you know, looking forward to get going. <laughs> nice one. Well, we'll get into a bit more about that in case people didn't know what you do. But look, tell me a little bit about, more about your background and, and, and why you do what you do. Yeah, man, sure. So... Yeah, so for, for everybody listening, yeah, my name's James. I'm an anaesthetics and intensive care doctor by training. So as you heard in the intro, um, I practiced clinically for five years, never loved medicine. I enjoyed the job. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the patients, but was never really there with kind of loving the science and loving that kind of process of revising for all the exams and things. So I was always one of those doctors that was looking to do other things. I really enjoyed the business side of it. I really enjoyed the management side of it. And so I started doing weird stuff, basically. <laughs> I started trying to improve stuff in the hospitals. I started writing business cases. I started shadowing finance directors and chief execs, like stuff that people weren't really doing back then, but I was just sort of following my own interest. And mm. it was, a, I guess, kind of a, a year to a year and a half into being a doctor, I learned this incredible skill which was how to write business cases. And I started realizing that this like magical bit of paper mm. could make people stand up and listen to you to actually change stuff. And you'd get in front of like the board of the hospital, you'd get in, in, in front of the chief exec, you could, you could literally just walk into any office with one of these things. <laughs> so I started just having these ideas of how to change stuff because again, like I was, I was lazy. I didn't <laughs> want to do things twice. And healthcare is just full of things that you just have to keep doing. And like, one thing I remember that just used to drive me absolutely bananas was the amount of times that I would write the same patient's hospital number and name mm. and date of birth all the time. I used to write it like 30, 40, 50 times a day <laughs> for multiple patients. And I was just like, what, what am I doing? Like, surely computers can do this job. Yeah. Like, it, it must be the case. So I started picking off little bits of software and just little things that we could bring in started to talk to different technology companies to be like, Hey guys, how can you solve this problem? What, you know, what would you do in this situation? And ended up kind of learning a bit about the tech world, learning a bit about the healthcare world. Anyway, mm. cut a bit of a long story short. I took a couple of years out. I, I worked in policy because I thought, you know, when I was trying to get these, these technology companies to build a bit of stuff for healthcare, or when I was trying to get them into the hospitals, it all came down to like, Oh, the policy says this, the policy says that. So I was like, let me learn the policy and see how I can get around this stuff. Right. So 
worked at NHS England, which is one of the armed bodies to the Department of Health in the UK. Um, worked at a couple of the others, like Health Education England, had a commercial role at the BMJ. So learning a bit about the back end of hospitals and, and healthcare and the way that all that sort of stuff worked. But again, with one eye on innovation and how to get around this stuff. So learned that. And then... I was at a bit of a crossroads because I, I went back into medicine for a couple of years, did a few more projects. I sort of, I, I did bits and bobs like redesigning pathways and writing business cases for like leasing new blood culture analyzers because it would speed things up to get people out of hospital quicker. So I did that kind of stuff. And then was it a bit of a crossroads because I had all these skills. I could go back into medicine, but I knew that I'd go back into, into registrar training and it'd be really pigeonholed and I wouldn't be allowed to do all the kind of vast stuff that I'd started doing outside medicine. So I applied to join this thing called an accelerator. Didn't know what an accelerator was. Knew what startups were, but I sort of got that. <laughs> but I had no idea what an accelerator was. Applied to it for this role called a navigator. And I was like Googling, like, what on earth is a navigator? <laughs> an accelerator. Realized that nobody knew what a navigator to an accelerator was because it was a completely made up title yeah, right. for this for basically a busybody of an accelerator that that looked after startups. Sort of like, like an account manager. Anyway, mm. got the job. Um, something called the Digital Health London Accelerator, which still runs now, um, an accelerator which helps startups access the NHS, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Mm. And yeah, for six months, I was helping 10 startups get into the NHS, which I was like, this is amazing. This is what I actually enjoy doing. This is what I was good at. This is, you know, using my skills. I could I could speak both languages, right? I could speak tech and I could speak startup. I could speak um, the, the healthcare as well. Yeah. So I did really well with those 10 startups and then basically got promoted to run the program. So I ran the program for a further 12 months. So I saw two cohorts go through that. So 61 startups. We got 50 pilots and contracts in the NHS. We um, helped them raise 13, well, I say helped them raise, I mean, they raised 30 million pounds of follow-on funding, not that we gave sort of direct help, but yeah, yeah. I sort of did, even though it wasn't my role. Helping um, <laughs> them with all sorts of different bits involved because I found it interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, we, we did really well. A couple of those companies have exited. So Echo got bought by McKesson, who owned Lloyd's, Lloyd's Pharmacy. Dimec exited to the co-op group. So got a couple of exits as well, looking really rosy. But I basically learned that the NHS wasn't the only place for innovation. So I was looking at B2C models. I was looking, I was interested in, in private sector models with the, with, with the insurers and private hostel groups and things. So I started my own accelerator called HS, which is now HS Ventures with a guy called Alex. Mm. The two of us um, basically designed a pre-seed slash seed stage accelerator for early stage startups. Any kind of health tech startup could apply. We were super broad with tech. We were super broad with clinical. And yeah, we we did, we did some awesome stuff. So we, we in the past sort of 12 to 18 months, we've helped around about 20 startups. Six or seven of those have done really well. Um, and now we're transitioning to go from an accelerator into a fund. So we're raising at the moment a seed fund around about 40 million. We'll see how it goes. Mm. Um, so we'd like to raise 40 million. We're in the process to do closing a cornerstone investor at the moment. Um, and that gives us the ability to start investing. We want to fix the gap in the UK, which is the fact that uh, seed stage startups, they struggle to raise big rounds. Mm. So every now and again, probably once every six months, you'll see a health tech startup raise a million seed. Yeah. It's not really good enough. In the US, we see it all the time. And that's what that's what companies need. They need that sort of level of funding. They need that runway. They need the ability to hire quickly and grow quickly. They need the ability to kind of get that money early on in their raising sort of journey yeah. to give them that, um, that ability to, to 
take longer than often it, people think in, in technology. You know, investors often come from life sciences or tech in the healthcare world. Yeah. Life science guys want evidence and the tech guys mm. want the quick exit. And I think both need to come a bit further into the middle. There are mm. no real native digital health investors. And so what we're trying to do is become that. We're trying to say that, you know what, we understand that the timelines are a bit longer than your typical tech VC thinks. We actually understand that you don't need as much evidence necessarily as your life science guys might think. Yeah. And so, we're in the middle of, sort of modernizing healthcare, I guess you could call it, and a really long and rambling intro, but that's kind of, no, 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 that's, no. Kind well, of that's kind of me. Yeah, look, um, and, and and that's that's such a um, a common thing I know, especially in Australia as well. The you know with with growth in health tech and and health tech being so hot right now in the in the VC or in, and even the PE space, like for for investment. There's, yeah. there's there's still expectations that you know the that investors are going to see 10x in two or three years you know on, on their return and and it's and it's just not the case um in in, in it's just not dude and i think that there's a lot of pressure that comes with raising a lot of money from a traditionally tech vc that has that same expectation of hockey stick graphs yeah. daily active users revenue super quickly you know it it's it, it puts a lot of pressure on and that's typically the vc model you know vcs operate on 10-year funds they need to see an exit in that time it, and so you know that as soon as you take that money the clock's starts ticking and I think mm, mm. there is a lot of pressure there is room for investors that are a bit more wise to the fact that timelines are longer that evidence is required and it is somewhere in the middle of those two different groups and so yeah I, I think there's there's plenty of space and and you know what as well I think startups often struggle to raise money I mean it, it's so common and especially at seed stage and I think there's so many people that, you know, with us being an accelerator, with me writing for Forbes and doing the podcast and, and doing all these things, you know, there are many, many, many VCs that get in touch with me yeah. and they want my confidence in investing in people. Mm. And I think that's another big issue with the space is that a lot of investors hedge their bets and we see smaller rounds. We yeah. see half of what startups actually wanted to invest and therefore things are slower and they're, mm. They're less definitive and they're less confident. And yes, they're not going to do as well. And I think we're trying to translate that confidence and, and put our money where our mouth is by saying, look, we're actually going to, we're going to rock into this space and we're going to cut a million pound checks and we're going to give it to startups that have never had money before. Mm. And, we're, and we're happy doing that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we've got, we've got a, a, depending how you look at it, a broader, a tight thesis around health tech. Yeah. We know what we're doing. We've seen multiple startups before. I've run two accelerators now. I've helped hundreds that have gone on to raise over 150 million. As I say, a few exits under, under our belt now as well. So we know what works and you know what, we're, we're going to come out here and uh, we're nice. going to show everyone Look, I mean, what we that's, I, I, that's so refreshing to to hear someone that knows the space so well and knows what what companies need in terms of funding, but also to be not not just to be able to provide the uh, the the capital and the expectations, but also provide the support as well in terms of the the accelerator. Look, to tell us tell us more about like what what you do uh, as an accelerator, and for those not that come across the, the term before or heard it and gone, oh yeah, I know what that is, and actually they've not really known what it is. But, yeah. <laughs> but what does that what does that involve? Yeah, sure, man. So yeah, totally. I mean, I was in this boat as a doctor, you know, applying to this accelerator as a navigator. I was like, what on earth am I doing? Am I going to be like? using a compass and like sailing a ship like it's just like it could have literally yeah, been anything yeah. 
Um, an accelerator is basically a program that helps startup companies or individuals um, grow a business. And you, you can pitch that early on to, as I say, individuals that want to meet co-founders and, and do the early stuff. Accelerators could be later stage. So my first accelerator was helping later stage mm. companies, like Series A, which is basically the second time you raise money or the third, mm. roughly. Or it can be super early stage, which is what which is what AGS was. So helping early stage companies, and and that support can look like anything. It can be money, it can be mentorship and advice, it can be co working space or, or office mm. space. But basically, what the accelerator deal is is that the accelerator will get either equity or a fee in exchange for helping you in yeah. some way. So. With Digital Health London, my first accelerator, it was a case of we don't give up front, we don't give up front fund, we don't give um, uh, what, what else don't we give? <laughs> we don't give office space. We don't give any of that stuff. But what we do is give you mentorship, support, and advice. Right. But actually, you know, we're not we're not taking anything mm. from you. We're we're, we're just going to give that for free because we're funded by the government yeah, and all that right. sort of stuff. So that was our first accelerator. HS was a bit different. So we took equity in exchange for that support, mm. um, and sometimes money and then things. So it was a different deal. Mm. So those, that, I mean, that's sort of roughly the way that the way that accelerators yeah. work. And I think with HS, what we were doing was initially, as I say, we took equity. We then moved our model because we were like, we're trying to find the best product market fit here. So we changed our model to taking a fee only if we help that company raise money. And right. similarly with our equity, you know, that only converted if we help them raise money. Yeah. So it was sort of a no win, no fee basis that people could come in yeah, for okay. free. Um, we'd help them. And then if we helped them really well, we'd Oh, wow, interesting. I, I would think as well. Wouldn't wouldn't you be? Isn't the theory? You know, if you've got equity or you're working for equity, then you know there's kind of you're working for skin in the game, or you're, you're more invested in, in inverted commas in the in the process. Or is that you mentioned you moved away from that model? Yeah, it is to yeah, it is to an extent. Yeah, it is to an extent. I mean, what I would say is. Yeah, I mean, we were no win, no fee in the sense that if if we didn't help you get to a point where you were raising mm -hmm. money, then we our equity didn't convert, yeah, yeah, and right. so unless you raised over seventy k, we we didn't get anything from you. So we were always incentivized to help mm. the companies with everything that mm. they needed to then help to help them raise money. But what I would say is, for accelerators, they're not. It's not a democracy. An accelerator. Mm. It's it's doggy dog and I'm going to put my energy and effort to the companies that I think are mm, going to win. Mm. So if I can start, see, so in, in a cohort of 10 or a cohort of 20 or a cohort of 30, depending on, you know, what your accelerator is and what you're doing, you've got to remember if you're a startup and you're on that, then those people running that accelerator are, put yourself in that position. They're, they're looking for who's going to win and then they're just going to divert their attention, divert their energy and, and double down to make sure that that converts. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's always about when you're there, they're not your teammates, you know, people on accelerators, they're your competition. And so you've got to, you've got to get ahead and you've got to show that you're the ones that are going to do well because then you're going to get most of the support mm -hmm. and most of the help. And I think there's an element of democracy there. I mean, you don't want to leave anybody behind intentionally or anything yeah. like that, but just naturally it's going to happen that, you know, we had very early on, we had a company called Febris who do AI machine learning for um, respiratory disease at the moment, but moving into to lots of different disease. I mean, we, we saw very quickly that, you know, Alina was a biomedical engineer, data scientist, you know, PhD machine learning from Oxford, all this different stuff on paper, but she came in and she was just killing it. Every intro we gave her, she turned it into 10 different right. intros. Every 
opportunity we gave her, she turned it into 10 different nice. opportunities and she just jumped on things quickly, emailed back fast, all mm. these different things. And so we knew very quickly that they were going to do something pretty special and then they went and raised a million pound seed. So yeah, it was it's one of those things that, um, yeah, work hard and put yourself in that shop window. Yeah, for most yeah. of the oh, well, I was, I was going to say, I was, I was leading to my, my next kind of, um, bit of advice you could provide to to maybe health tech startups kind of growing, whether it's seed stage or looking to do kind of the first series A or like raising money early on to be able to, you know, uh, achieve their vision. Um, you know, you kind of talked about, you know, working really hard and, and, and responding and being being proactive. But, well, I mean, what, what other kind of advice can you mm. give to these companies that want to um, really make it in the health tech business and raise some, raise some coin? The first thing is being super clear on what you do and how you're going to actually go about making money for those investors. I always think when you're trying to get something from someone, the best thing that you can do is put yourself in their shoes and actually genuinely mm. think, what would they be mm. thinking? And I think for investors, you got, you got to remember, if you're looking at seed stage, you're probably looking at angel investors, which are individual people. Yeah that have probably you know exceeded their allowance for all all the stuff they they can invest in quite safely and now they're on some mm. startups and so or they've got super passion or whatever it is so they're investing their own money and so ultimately they want to know how and when they're getting that money yeah. back and so they they need to see a path to you doing that and that's how generally you need to frame things for an angel mm-hmm. for a fund it might be a bit different you might not necessarily need to communicate in those ways. But look, here's the kind of common truth. You just want to explain to people extremely quickly the answer to three questions, which is what problem do you solve? Whose problem is it? And how are they going to pay for it? If you can answer that extremely, extremely succinctly, and by the way, when I say what problem can you solve or what problem do you solve? The answer is one sentence. And I I mean that it's one sentence. It's not a rambling explanation starting when you were 12 years old going up to now like taking history off like an elderly patient it's not you know it's not it's not that that sort of thing it's like what problem do you solve it's the fact that inspections take too long and use too much resource in the hospital that's that's a problem worth solving whose problem is it that's a job title or it's an in it's the name of a person that's that's also got a multiple role or, or something like that. It, it's literally like the associate nursing director of the hospital who holds the budget and holds the, yeah. the, the key to the castle sort of thing. So you need to be super specific. And the third one, how they're going to pay for it. You need, I mean, that's a business model, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's just a payment model, whether that's a, a one-off fee, whether that's a subscription, whether that's this, that, the other. And then, you know, it, we, when you've got the answer to those three questions and you can say that literally like super quickly, you're going to look like, you know what you're doing, because I'll ask that to 80%, you know, hundred percent of startups that I ask that to 80% of them will bumble on mm. one of the answers. And I'm like, Oh, like, come on, man, like you need to be quicker yeah. sort of thing. So I think if you can, if you can be really succinct at that and then, and then the rest of it for raising money, you've got to go full sales. You've got to literally be, you know, downloading like a LinkedIn crawler and just crawling that, that whole platform for anybody that mentions the word investor, yeah. they need to be in a CRM and you need to just be emailing and emailing and emailing and you need to build that over time and just keep mm. going and always take a minute. You know, this, the, there's so much about it, which is just blanket approach to just get leads and, I think there's all the usual stuff as well, like making sure your pitch deck's tight and, you know, money spent on a designer is often very smart mm-hmm. money for stuff like that. Because again, you know, I get sent, you know, in, in between in a six week period from the first November to the 14th of December, 
I was sent 77 Jeez. pitch decks from health tech. That's companies. a lot of pitch decks. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, a lot of that came through Forbes and came through the podcast and came through because I like seeing pitch decks and actually I encourage yeah. that and I, I want to yeah. see them. Um, because, but when you see 77 decks, you start to see things that are common, but also you, what you really see are things that are different, things that yeah. stand out. Yeah. And so, you know, things that are just kind of the, the basic template in PowerPoint with the same font. I'm going to say, I reckon you know like, what the what the I, template I, looks like, you know, like that people have Googled what's a good pitch deck and then you've probably like seen that. Yeah, and actually I don't mind that. I, I, don't, I don't mind, the, you know, if, if someone's got the Sequoia, um, uh, the, the, the Sequoia template, which did the rounds on LinkedIn and does so every sort of a couple of months or the, or, you know, this thing. I, I honestly don't mind that because I'm like, you know, what? If, if you're getting Sequoia's content, then you, you probably absorb the right sort of true. stuff. Yeah, so actually, for, and for people listening, yeah, have a look at Sequoia's, Sequoia's deck template. It's decent. Mm. I, I enjoy it because actually it's really succinct and, mm. and does things really well. And actually what I find is that if you can't fit your stuff into something like a Sequoia deck, and by the way, that is heavily weighted towards tech startups mm. rather than your more sort of life science ones. But if you're a tech solution for healthcare, and you can't fit it into a Sequoia thing, then yeah, you, probably, you probably need to change things up so that you can. Mm. And it's people that then try and put in extra slides to justify why they can't do the market size properly or, you know, that right. sort of thing that you're right. like, mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, keep it succinct, one slide yeah. for market and, and be honest. And that's another thing. Right? If, I, if I added up all that, someone else said this to me the other day and I've sort of stolen it as a phrase, but if someone, if someone, um, if I added up all the market sizes that that I would uh, be sent in like an average twenty four hours, that I could probably go around the world like seven <laughs> or eight times. Like, um, be honest about your market size and, and be honest about how many people you think could actually buy yeah, your thing, yeah. because the, the the first thing I'm going to do is probably catch you out yeah. there more than yeah, anywhere yeah, else. That's right. Well, it's about building trust early on, isn't it? And, and if it's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's got to be a um, compelling kind of proposition but if it's just farcical then it kind of defeats the point altogether so um yeah that's yeah i, th I think yeah exactly because i want i want to know of of the people that we're going to work with that they that, that they're that they have humility that they're humble that they're coachable that they can learn that that they they can actually you know get information and and process it properly and all these different things and and then they're not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. And I think one of the one of the, the classic ways that people can alienate investors is by just putting a ludicrous market size because they think that by putting a bigger market size, an investor's more likely to be interested. Yeah. Now, certain investors will have a certain market size that they are comfortable, happy, mm. and you know, a, a, a genuine floor of where they will only start. You know, people will be like, I'm only, you know, I will only touch markets of a hundred million plus. I'll only touch markets of a billion plus mm. sometimes in, in, in VC, or at least that they can see a billion dollar um, valued company and all this sort of stuff. So yes, you need to be putting the, the, the market size at a certain level, but you need to be honest about that because the VCs that do have a floor of the market size, especially in something as sector specific as health tech, you will know, you know, if you're selling stuff to hospitals for a certain price, mm. I know how many hospitals are in the UK, for example. I know what their budgets yeah. are. And so I can very quickly do a calculation to see whether your market size is actually hmm. correct. And so, <laughs> so it's, it, if it's easy for me to do like that, you know, 
I've got to think, well, if it's a one-off cost and there's only X amount of hospitals, then well, your market's yeah, actually this. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, hey, hey, look, moving on from the investor stuff and the um, uh, and the HS kind of ventures piece, like what, what's fallen out of that is the is the podcast. So you, you do a you do a podcast um, on on health tech, and and I think that's probably one of the the first kind of health tech podcasts that I found anyway, even before I started doing this podcast. So uh, to tell us a bit more about what you do there, like who you talk to and all that kind of stuff. So do you want to know, do you want to know a funny story about the podcast? So, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's on health tech. We interview founders, we interview leaders. We, um, we are now listened to in 84 different countries. We grew massively last mm. year. Um, really good recall. The caliber of guests just, you know, keeps getting better and better. You know, last week we had you on mate, you know, all, <laughs> all different things. So we've, we've, so, we've got a high bar now. That's, uh, yeah. Mate, honestly, if it's Peter Birch or above, I'm happy, you know. Um, <laughs> That's going to be the soundbite for this episode, by the way. All those really intelligent things you said before. I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> That's going to be it. Oh, God. But here's the thing, right? When we very first started, funny story, I didn't want to do it. Right. And Alex said to me, so Alex is my co-founder in HHS, and he said to me, um, let's do a podcast. It's all about content, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, look, I agree, man, but we got so much on our plate. I'm doing so much stuff. Mm. Like, have I got time to do a podcast? I'm like, fuck, I've got yeah. to get the guest. And because I'm a bit of a perfectionist of the two of us, you know, I'm I'm the perfectionist and he's the the, the born entrepreneur, just release it, it go fast, yep. you know, all that sort of stuff. And we balance each other out really nicely. Mm, mm. And, you know, we, start, we <laughs> started it together and um, I was like, oh my God, it's just another thing we're going to have to mm, do. Mm. But you know what? I ended up thoroughly enjoying it. It's taken off, but I I host it myself now because we realize very quickly that it's way better doing one-on-one interviews. Mm. There's been so much learning and yeah, it's it's just been super fun, super cool and just really great at generating leads for us. Mm. And, mm. you know, even the startups that come on now, you know, we get so much feedback from our startups. I mean, I've put a couple of bits on LinkedIn about the people that have given us, you know, genuine ROI feedback and just said, look, last year we had three investors reach out. We've had, you know, two partnerships from from like you know the health tech organizations that have, that have got in touch mm. and so it's it's really it's it's really interesting just how how much it's kicked off and and i wouldn't have guessed it to be perfectly honest i think you know alex had a lot more foresight than me on that but yeah it's it's really been a way that people love to absorb health tech content and i think you know we, we do get guests on from around the world now and and it's yeah it's it's just been really useful yeah. for us like there's some crazy stats about podcasts like as well just in terms of the growth year on year and just generally and 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 i mean i i really like that you can have a show that is so like crazy niche like i mean health tech is 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 somewhat niche but you know you can i mean just generally in podcasts if you're a business and you're you know selling you know a particular type of pillow to a particular type of you know dog then there's probably (laughs) a podcast that you can make about it for a couple of seasons so like and if not dude we'll do the dog (laughs) pillow uh, podcast next week i think that'd be awesome i'll start writing it genuinely i I can see that (laughs) but yeah no it's it's classic isn't it it's it's what they call the long tail of the internet isn't it you know the internet creates this this ability for anybody to go online and find the content that they want and so even if there were only 250 people globally that were obsessed about dog pillows those 250 people can pay 20 quid a month for something and all of a sudden you've got a business yeah, model exactly. for, for, and and you know historically that's not been the case and you know so often 
that you hear the negatives of the internet and, and this new agent and all these different things. And you're something Gary Vaynerchuk talks about all the time for, for people that absorb his content. But, mm. you know, the long tail of the internet is providing so much opportunity for people. People are finding communities, people are finding purpose and friends and, mm. you know, these groups and people are creating business models out of those groups and communities and, and yeah. serving them with content that they want. And I completely agree. You know, I, I don't know how many health tech people um, are around the world, but I, I can imagine of those that listen to podcasts, you know, on, on ours, we've, we've probably got most yeah. of them at the yeah, moment. Just, yeah, um, them it, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really yeah, cool. Excellent. And so you, you, you've started doing two shows a week now as well. And so you, you do conversations with guess what predominantly in the uk or is that yeah i mean i'm moving more globally with the um with the guests actually because i think there's there's a lot to be said for educating people on markets and communities in health tech around the mm. world and especially for people that want to move territories or just because i think there's a lot of similarities and and, and certain differences too i mean we're all more similar than we are different but i'd say that of health tech markets too but mm. There's, there's definitely differences that are worth highlighting and talking about, but but it's really good to, to celebrate the similarities too, because I think for, for good innovations to scale globally, I think that's the absolute dream so that we can start just moving forwards and yeah. forwards and forwards yeah. with, with all health tech stuff. So I'm moving more globally, yet yeah, one episode a week is an interview. So we've had people like the Chief Medical Officer of Phillips. We've had um, like a guy called Mir Imran, who's got like 400 patents, three venture right. funds, and, and God knows how many, 20 lifestyle companies behind him like so we've had like really cool guests like this but i like to mix it up too so i also have really early stage startups um cool. and everything in between basically yeah, no. so i like to mix up the interviews because yeah there's there's absolutely no correlation between someone's achievements and how good the episode is it's all yeah, about yeah, yeah. yeah i know i mean you all know this mate you value a good speaker over someone with loads of letters after their name totally. um because it's just a lot more engaging yeah, so yeah yeah i like to keep the episodes fun it's super relaxed and really informal and i like to get genuine learning from people and, and hear how they've, they've gone about their careers and stuff so that's one episode a week. and yeah i've started a sunday episode and i think the sunday episode is more kind of keeping on the pulse of health tech talking about events that are going on globally um any articles that have come out recently that either i've written or that i've read that I think are really good for people to see um, and just sort of keeping keeping everyone's finger on the pulse of health tech, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, for a really awful pun on health. But yeah, <laughs> um, that's, why, that's why I like it because the... The, I guess the interview, I can record loads of those in advance um, and sort of batch those. But the 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 Sunday one, I can record those like weekly yeah. and just sort of talk about current. Good so, um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Nice one. Hey, look, you were talking about the similarities and differences in in health tech across across the world, and I guess like to to wind out the conversation, kind of one of the things I really wanted to touch on is what the the health tech space is like in the UK. Like, I, I, I all I can think of is when I ever think of like expanding out to the uk i just think oh, the nhs and then i can't do anything and that's it <laughs> that's all i think about yeah. with the uk so i'd love to learn a bit more and i'm sure there's plenty of other aussies than and other like other listeners around the world to this show that would would want to know more about the the uk health tech space so is there is there like how does sure. it work and is there space for 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 disruption or, or coming in or how does that kind of work yeah, it's a good, it's a good question, man. Um, because I asked it on yours last week. <laughs> um, no. I wasn't going to ask anything. Like, no, it's a good question. It's, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it is a good question. Actually, I think it is good in, in relation to the UK. You know, we are dominated by a public sector healthcare system. We are dominated by the NHS. Um, and yes, there is understandably a lot of 
I, I guess apathy when it comes to thinking about how to break such an such an ossified system. Mm. I, I think is the the best way that I've heard it described. But look, yes, we we have a majority public health care system that is. Some people describe it as a whale. I've, the, I've heard it best described as a shoal of fish in that if you try and harpoon the thing, it's just going to move around you. There's no way of landing the one big contract, yeah. which is going to be centrally procured and let you roll out everywhere. Yeah. So the reality is that actually what you've got is not one big system. What you've got is 100,000 organizations that are independent, that can make their own management decisions, that do not see scale between them, hmm. but that essentially have the same logo and that's it. And that's it under the NHS brand. And so what you end up having is essentially really difficult field sales because yeah. just, just because you have managed to get an innovation into, I don't know what hospitals in the UK are, are famous, but like Guy's and St. Thomas's hmm. or, um, King's College or UCL, just because you've got a contract at one of those says absolutely nothing about the fact you are going to get a contract down the road. In fact, you might even have a bit of competition down the road because they, mm. they, they don't want to copy them or, or something like that. And so there's a lot of nuance. So there's there's no way of being kind of centrally, well, largely anyway, I'll talk in broad yeah. brush strokes. There, there, largely, there are no ways of getting centrally procured in the public system. Mm and getting rolled out everywhere. It just doesn't work like that. And so that's kind of, I think that's where a lot of the, the apathy comes when it, when it comes to, when it comes to scale, because scales scale tends to be the bit where people struggle right. because there's, there's nothing to really say that just because you're in one site means you're going to scale. And I think that, you know, circling back to the investor stuff, a lot of people say, Oh, we've got a pilot here. We've got a pilot there. We've got a pilot. At the end of the day, first of all, that's got to convert to a contract. And second of all, I'm going to listen when you're in three different sites yes. that are not connected to each other, because then I'm like, you're solving a problem that is experienced in the same way everywhere. And I think that is a problem that you need to find if you're going to find a problem in the, in the NHS side of mm. things. If the NHS organizations are your customer, yeah. you've got to think, is this a problem that is experienced in exactly the same way across all sites in the NHS? And that's to scale in the NHS. Now, the UK is not just about the NHS. You can sell to lots of different customers, not just NHS organizations. You can sell to consumers. You can sell to patients themselves. Mm. You can sell to insurers. You can sell to private sector organizations. Yeah, yeah. You can even then look at emerging markets globally. Mm. You can think about lots of different innovative business models to make health tech solutions work. Mm. And increasingly, people are going to our healthcare system when they're ill um, but they're willing to go into their own pocket to keep themselves healthy. And so there are B2C models emerging, questions around the true scalability again, but also true, uh, questions around the true scalability of things that sell to NHS organizations. And so there is a lot of opportunity. We are seeing so much technology at the bottom end. We're seeing so many startups that are coming alive at the bottom end. We've got a super fertile ground of universities, hospitals, um, medical schools. All these people are starting to, to think differently. All these people are starting to meet each other. There are, there are accelerators and programs and co-working spaces where these people are starting to coexist. Yeah. Ideas are flowing. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot of stuff at the bottom end. We're seeing increasingly clinicians get frustrated um, in the hospitals. Increasingly, we're seeing patients get frustrated. We're seeing 
a real demand for, for a better service. And so that pressure is coming onto the, the healthcare organizations top down and bottom up. So it's, it's coming to them from, from the companies and it's also coming to them from the patients that things need to change. And so from within, you've then got these kind of champions that, that are existing and trying this new stuff and trialing it. And so that's people's route in and, and finding one of these clinical champions and tech evangelists that, that loves trialing new stuff. And you can always find them on LinkedIn and, mm. and Twitter and things speaking loudly about this stuff. So finding those people and moving into a new territory can be, can be, you know, it can unlock a heck of a lot in in the UK. And, and, and similarly, as I say, applying to accelerators, applying to programs that know the area. I think I mentioned this on yours last week, you know, the, if you can apply to a program that understands the area and understands the nuance, you can do a lot of that learning very quickly. Mm. And so for companies that might be, you know, over your side of the world, uh, in Australia, New Zealand, or even anywhere around the world that want to think about moving to the UK, you can look at these different programs and just think, yeah, I can, if I get onto one of those, I can, I can do this learning, you know, extremely quickly. And so whilst I understand the apathy when it comes to the NHS, first of all, there is, there, there isn't just the NHS to think about in the UK. There are lots of different ways to sell to a, to a big market of of 70 million people in the UK. Mm. So lots of different things you can do. Um, and if, if it is the NHS that you want to work with, there are lots of things available to, to give you that opportunity. And at the end of the day, if you've got an awesome bit of kit that solves a genuine problem for people and it just needs packaging in the right way, then yeah, give me a call and I can help you yeah, out. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing that there's someone like yourself in the UK that can be um, uh, contacted, that knows the space um, in, in relation to both healthcare and technology problems that need to be solved and um the, the always happy to do yeah always happy to if anybody is if anybody is in that boat that they just need something packaged for the uk or at least some advice on that stuff i mean i'm always giving advice to companies to do that so um yeah definitely something that we can chat yeah, about awesome look um well on that then to, to close it out james what's um so people can keep an eye out on what you're doing and and how to get in touch what would be some of those things to, to look at because you've got a few different a few different um strings in the bow so what I am everywhere, mate. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be everywhere. I absorb so much of Gary Vaynerchuk's content and he uses the word content all the, all the damn time. And so I'm trying to create more content. <laughs> I am on LinkedIn. You can search my name, so James Somaru, so S-O-M-A-U-R-O-O. Search me on LinkedIn. I'm at James Somaru on Twitter. I'm J underscore Soms on Instagram. You can get me at jamesomaru.com. Um, what else do I do? The HS Health Tech Podcast. You can search for that online. That's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual stuff. Yeah. Stitcher, Breaker. There's like that. a million of them. <laughs> um, yeah. And if you search James Somaru and Forbes, you can read all of my Forbes articles. But I would say number one, add me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm putting out all my stuff. Yeah. Um, we've got a monthly event that you can come to if, you, if you're in London. Um, loads of bits and bobs going on, but add me on LinkedIn. You can get all my stuff there. Amazing, James. I appreciate the chat. We could chat about so much more, but we'll leave it there. Um, thanks so much for your time. Sounds good, buddy. Speak soon. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Go check out the website, contribute to the forum, listen to other episodes and get in touch with feedback about the show because collaboration starts with a conversation. Speak to you next time.